Hello and welcome back to our podcast. Very glad that you have decided to join us. Uh, we are continuing our, our deep dive into the book of Hebrews and we're up to chapter 6 this week. Uh, some fun ideas in this passage and uh, I hope that you enjoy our discussion. Just before we start, quick reminder that you can send us comments if you so wish um, at the email address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and we know that a lot of churches have shut back down and uh, not everyone is able to worship together. Uh, and if if there's anyone who's is missing out on a bit of Sabbath school discussion because of the isolation that you know, uh, feel free to pass this podcast link on to them. Uh, my name's Cameron. Yeah, good day, everybody. Ken here, and Luke here, and I'm Lachlan. Fantastic. It's good to have us all back at once. This is the first time I think for a, since about Hebrews two. I, su- I suggest this is a great opportunity to do a really long episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I, I suggest, Ken, that you might be volunteering <laughs> to answer? <laughs> There's only a 50% chance that either Cam or myself will fall asleep during a really long episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're in Hebrews 6, and Hebrews 5 had some curly passages, and it... it um, ended with a section about we thought perhaps it might be a little self-righteous or condescending or um, condemnatory or I'm not sure quite what the word is but at the end of chapter 5 the author accuses the um, readers of this book um, of being infants refusing to grow up Hmm. and uh, we are continuing in that vein chapter 6 I'm going to read uh, the first few verses I might read up to oh first three or four verses Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be, taking for, and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. We'll do what? Um, sorry, I've lost the train of thought in that. Uh, we will move beyond the elementary teachings. Yeah. So that mm. there's a list of ele- yes. elementary teachings and God permitting, we'll be able to move beyond them. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessings of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Keep going. Well, I'm having trouble with the next sentence. Um, yeah. This this sounds to me a little like good cop, bad, bad cop. Um, so having just identified the listeners as land that is in danger of being cursed because the thistles it, 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 um, it produces. In verse 9 it says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends... We are convinced of better things in your case, the things that yeah, have to that, do with that's salvation. Gaslighting ish. <laughs> we've we've just watched we've just watched the Lego Movie with my kids, and one of the villains in the Lego Movie is a policeman who is both good cop and bad cop because Lego faces often provided turn with the face around. Yes, Lego faces with like a happy and a sad face on either sides so that you can turn the head 180 degrees and change the expression on your Lego figurine. So when he's good cop, the happy face is forward, and when he's bad cat, cop, the angry face is forward. And um, okay, we're going to have to come back and discuss this further. <laughs> I have a number of interesting thoughts already, 
bubbling away. Well, shall, let's stop then. Let's, my, so we need to we need to deal with this. My my first thought is a, a sense of mild astonishment, and this shows how long it's been since I've been on the podcast. That um, I like the Book of Leviticus much more than the Book of Hebrews. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yes. Um, I I feel like this is a part of Hebrews that is not as frequently turned to as, you know, a, a wonderful high priest in whom we can boldly approach the throne of God and uh, heroes of faith, which, of course, is something we yet to arrive at in the book. Um, but this whole idea of moving beyond the basic teachings is actually a really interesting question. So... Um, I think this is something that must really be difficult for lots of um, people in in positions of pastoral ministry leadership. So, so church pastors, for example, you are trying to work out how to pitch some presentation, a sermon, some some presentation of teachings about Christ, Christian teachings, and if you pitch them too high, so to speak, meaning. Um, using the wording here in in Hebrews 6 um perhaps not the basic teachings then you risk alienating the the newest and in some cases most fragile members of the community and yet if you just sit there out of deference to those newcomers to the community continually reiterating the basic fundamental ideas then aren't you falling into exactly the the situation described here at the start of Hebrews 6 you you're mm. just going over the basics and not developing and maturing in understanding. I don't have a good answer to this, but I do observe that um, this chapter so far, these verses you just read, Cam, actually stand a little bit in contrast to the kind of attitude that I typically sense. I don't know if it's ever said explicitly, but I typically sense it in a church congregation, a church community. Uh, keep things simple. Keep it accessible. Stick to the basics. Um, Avoid controversial topics. Yeah. Yeah. The search for newness, though, is also a bit tricky. I remember once um, there was a very enthusiastic uh, person at college when I was there, a nice guy, who um, uh, I don't want to be uncharitable because he, he did lots of good things, but uh, was inclined to think that if he'd just discovered something, then it must be new also for everyone else. Um and he once advertised a Bible study that we had to go to. We were told that, that no, you've got to be. If you don't miss out on this, if you don't come to this Bible study, then you're going to miss out on something life changing. Um, you will be completely surprised, I think he said, or it, it'll be you'll learn something, you know, totally new. Well, the only way he could be certain that I would learn something new from the Bible study is if he was certain I didn't know anything at all, because. Mm. Because I might already know something. I was really turned off by this emphasis on something more yeah. or something new or something like superior or like like, and I didn't go. And that shows perhaps a, a insufficiency in my own spiritual development. I should have just gone and seen. I probably would have discovered something new. Um, maybe your life is still lacking to this day. Maybe I am a paddock that's producing thistles. Maybe you missed a fantastic opportunity to realise that you know nothing. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lee. Uh, the point is that... Maybe you missed a really important opportunity to realise that someone else knew nothing. Yeah, that's yeah. also possible. Well, um, so my comment is not on the Bible study because I wasn't there, but on the attitude mm. with which it was advertised and the fact that it 
didn't help, I don't think, win people to attending the study necessarily. Um, in uh, Correct me, I'm just delving back in time, but I think wasn't one of the premises of... Uh, it was a premise that we questioned fairly actively of the lesson quarterly was that Hebrews is a book written for us, that we're one of the audiences. Mm. And, and we commented at length at sort of how it seems to be so... Um, all the illustrations employ such very first century Jew idiom and culture in it that it's, we questioned exactly in what sense is the book for us. Uh, if this book is for us, then our tendency to skip this chapter and focus hmm. on the bits we like is is an indictment on us. Yeah. Well, uh, if I can deploy the, the spiritual gift of tongues in cheek for just a moment, I would like to suggest that verse 2 of this chapter might be brought up at a at a church um, board meeting as a as a as a filter for sermons you're not allowed to you don't need further instruction about baptisms so we don't have we don't want to have any of these arguments about total immersion versus yeah. sprinkling on of water uh, the laying of on of hands so no lay, no no discussion of pentecostalism i think is basically what that says the resurrection of the dead so state of the dead is out can't be talked about. It's off limits. Um, and eternal judgment. Well, presumably that's kind of sanctuary and judgment stuff. So that's kind of out as well. What is there left for an Adventist pastor to preach about? <laughs> yeah. Have you talked about the prophecies of Daniel? <laughs> no. That's, that must be the bit that's left. I think yeah. it, it is really... Okay, so what are the bits that are left? So... Well, I mean, being serious for a moment, this is kind of what I'm wondering. So um, note... Note that it doesn't say these things are wrong or even unimportant. So, so in verse 1, uh, it said, Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds. So just because it's saying we don't need to keep going over these basic things yeah. does not imply that they are not important. It, it, it says fundamental importance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's just saying... We kind of already know that, and we've established its importance, and maybe there's something else to talk about. So I, I think that is actually a really healthy thing to keep in mind here. Do you know what I think one of the um, points that might be developing here, Lot, is that maybe the bit that's left is the implementation of these ideas in our life. Ah. So, okay, so you, we all agree that repentance is important. Good. Well, let's stop talking about how repentance is important. Why don't we try repenting? Um you know, maybe that's because it's talked about how the um, in the earlier chapter that the children of Israel missed out in getting into the promised land because their lack of faith, which found expression in in disobedience. When when push came to shove, they just didn't actually do what God what they knew God wanted them to do. And when we get mm. to the heroes of faith, the heroes of faith did what God wanted them to do. They acted on it. They actually like put it into action. They they were impressed that God wanted them to do something, so they they went and did it. Uh, that's so consistent, maybe th that's consistent, Cam, with the very language of uh, chapter six and verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. Um, hmm. uh, continue on this journey. Uh, don't just stay there at the start. Uh, carry on um, and uh, implement these things. Hmm. Uh, it's it's not to say that. Um, uh, those things are any less the foundation of what you do. Um, uh, the journey always starts 
at point A. Uh, but mm. you leave point A to get to point B. Um, not in the sense that point A has no role to play or, or was of no significance or unimportant, uh, but it's just the start. Uh, you, you don't, don't, don't go hanging around at the start. If you're going to finish the triathlon, uh, you have to actually swim and ride and run. Um, you can't just stand around talking about how great a triathlon is. Uh. While you're saying that, Ken, it's made me think of another connection here. So verse 7 talks about the, the field, the, the ground that soaks up the rain and bears a crop versus the field that bears thorns. That, of course, is reminiscent of Jesus's parable about the farmer throwing seeds. It's almost as if using that illustration here in chapter six is trying to flesh out exactly this idea that cam you mentioned and, and you developed there ken the there are the, the initial stage is the throwing of the seed but that's not the end of the story it it grows it matures the seed matures and in in the right environment where where a person is focused on actually developing those ideas maybe it can grow into um a good crop into something that bears fruit um but of course, in the parable, as Jesus tells it, not explicitly here in Hebrews 6, uh, there is such ground as hears the word and germinates the seed, but just doesn't doesn't grow it into a flourishing yeah. crop. Yeah. Um, so maybe that maybe you're right. Maybe that is kind of this idea of how to implement, how to actually engage with these teachings. There's another parable of Christ, and it's uh, not really a parable. It's an analogy he uses where he, where he says that, you know, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. And I remember at one stage that worried me, because what happens if you're a bad tree? <laughs> then you're, you're stuck, right? You can't... Um, and I, I realised that's not what Christ was saying. What Christ was saying is, what makes a tree good or bad is its fruit. Hmm. That's, that's how we identify it as being a good or bad tree. So, in other words... Um, in other words, uh, we often say, if only you have the right picture of God, that will find expression in good de in good living. Um, hmm. But what Christ is saying is the other way around. He's saying, hang on, if you want to know if your if the stem of yourself, your being, your belief is right, if it if you want to know if it's good, you should work in the other direction. Are you making a positive difference in the world? Hmm. Because if you're producing bad fruit, then the tree that it's coming from can't be good. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so it's not it's not a case that if we believe the right thing about God, we will then go and make a positive difference in the world. He's saying you can tell if your belief in God is correct by the difference you are making in the world. Yeah. And, and further to that as well, Cam, um, you can also determine what it is that you should do about it. Because if you, as you, I think I agree with your understanding on that. You look at the fruit that's your measurable. That's your impact, your outcome. That's how you measure whether or not the tree is good. If the fruit is bad, you've discovered that the tree is bad. You don't therefore try and fix the fruit. You try oh, to fix the tree. That's good, Luke. That's so good. There's a so many. You make that. it a good tree so that it can make good fruit. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking about fruit and about implementing um the teachings of Christ. Let me just read the next couple of verses, Cam. I think you got up to verse 9. Yeah, I got a bit stuck. I got a, it got stuck on the phrase, dear friends. Yeah, so I'll repeat it that verse, even though I share, I, I share your 
your concern about it. And the, the following verses are what I want us to just note here in the context of what we've just talked about. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers, as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. It's it. What sort of fruit was Jesus talking about and are we talking about? Well, loving others, great and caring for others. That's, that's very clearly called out here. Yeah, that's good luck. Uh, one of the other things that uh, strikes me about that passage, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought it to the next verses, Lachlan, because they clearly bear out uh, the, the, the implications that we were looking at earlier. Um, before I come to verse 11, I just wanted to skip back and look at verse 8. Uh, the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. And immediately I thought of the, the fig tree that wasn't producing mm. any fruit that, that, that Jesus cursed. Uh, difficulties with that story? Uh, surely he could have nourished it with a little bit of fertiliser or something and, and helped it along <laughs> if, 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 if he was taking Luke's, Luke's advice about what you do with, with a tree that's no good. Um, uh, but Well, yes, and I, I'm thinking on that and realising that there. I think Jesus himself actually says that at some point something about if the vines don't produce grapes, eventually you just burn yeah, them. Yeah, you just, you just take them and burn them. So, so It's not quite as rosy and positive as that. But Luke, Luke, perhaps here's a slight amendment. Christ also talks about grafting vines onto the, you know, wild vines onto the true stock so maybe there is really a sense in which what we identify as part of ourself does need to be chopped up and burned mm. and the essence mm. in being united with christ is preserved but can we're derailing you and so. that's i i don't mind being derailed at all i get derailed most of the day <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but verse 11 says this in in the niv we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Now, hmm. um, ah, let me see if I can get the way that this is so often used. In order to make your hope sure. Well, there is a hope that you can have that is not sure. Um, so we think, well, we want a sure hope. Um, so what's the formula for getting a sure hope? Because that's what I want. Um, and so we go back and we say, oh, oh, okay. So we have to be uh, diligent to the very end. Um, so if I'm if I'm diligent to the very end, I'll I'll, I'll have a sure hope. Um, and and so so many of these things. And this is a statement from the author of Hebrews that we use as a formula to achieve our spiritual objectives. Um, and many of the statements that Jesus makes, we use in the same way. We say, oh well, you know, he's he. Th- this is something that's good that we want. Jesus has said. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll see the kingdom of God. I want to see the kingdom of God, so I better be a peacemaker. Um, uh, and how do I go about doing that? Whereas it seems to me that rather than being a formula, this is a statement of fact. 
Um, this is mm. just a statement of this is how the world operates. Um, if you stick with this to the end, you'll get what you hoped for. Um, you'll know that you've got it because you will have stuck with it and you will have got it. Um, it's simply a statement mm. of fact. It's not some formula. Now, that doesn't mean that it diminishes the, uh, uh, the importance of sticking with it to the end or um, uh, the suggestion that this is something good to be done. Mm. Uh, but, but it's not... It, it turns it from something that's a formula to achieve the end result oh. into uh, an activity of worth in itself, if you like. Uh, can uh, can I give an analogy there that I think fits? It does it come from C.S. Lewis, Adrian Plass, or um, Roald Dahl, um, or does it involve aeroplanes? No, no, so I'm sorry, but it involves oh, teaching. Well. So that's, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if I said to my students, which is true, the students who do well in this subject are the students who can at least see fit to spend some of their free time on maths. Like the students who end up, if you're teaching a complicated calculus-based year 11 and 12 maths subject, the students who, who do best, the ones who don't do just the minimum amount of work, they, they maybe spend 10 minutes a day just thinking about maths. If one of my students said, oh, right, I'm, I'm still not going to pay, I don't give a fig about maths and I hate it, but I'm just going to set, I'll set a stopwatch and for 10 minutes I'll think about maths. It's going to have no effect at all. That's, you've, the, mm. the people... The people for whom that's an expression of their sort of natural curiosity are the ones who do well. And that really does say, well, if it doesn't work as a formula, what use is, is it to us? And like, like, in fact, this is often the case with some students. They'll, some students who are not interested in a subject but want to be diligent will try and mimic study habits. What do you do to study? All right, I'll go and do that. And it doesn't seem to work for them. And the reason is the people for whom it works really care about maths. Mm. Um, and so there is an element to which we are quite helpless in this regard you know we can try and imitate I have trouble with this phrase to imitate which was used in one of the verses there mm, verse, um, 12. verse 12 we don't want you to become lazy but to imitate those through faith and patience inherent what's been promised there's two elements about that one is if you imitate something long enough you do learn to that's that's imitation is a, is a way of learning something so the student who, who does even out of the worst motives, try and think for maths about 10, 10 minutes a day, there is a, there is at least a chance that they might learn to like maths more. Um, so mm. maybe it just takes time. Maybe maybe there is an element to which it's useful. The other point is that in as much as whether the any particular spiritual discipline is useful or not might depend more on our actual fervent desire for God than on the the, the ingredients of the recipe for how many minutes you meditate or what time of day it occurs or mm. whatever else. Uh, maybe it actually, the success, in inverted commas, is is going to be determined more by whether we want actually want God. Um, well, then let us pray to him often that he would, he would excite that desire in us. There's an element in mm. which we do need to be changed ex from an external influence. That reminds me, Cam, of something I was thinking about just this week, which is how very often... Um, it's been my observation. The best result is not gained by the most skilled or even the most experienced, but by the one who worked the hardest. That is to say, the the, the one who wanted it the most mm -hmm. and put the most mm -hmm. time and effort into it. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that a more skilled person who wanted it equally as much couldn't have done better at whatever the thing is. Yeah. But so often it's it's the it's the motivation, it's the desire that separates a, a level of success um, 
mm. and and long term success from from failure. Um, and it reminds me of of the you know um, knock and the door shall be opened unto you seek and you shall find. Yeah. It's it's it sounds very much like that uh, teaching, yeah. where it's well if you want it, go and look for it. If you put effort into looking for it, you'll find it. Mm. Yeah. So I'd like to jump in here because there's words that we are using that trigger key keywords that trigger certain memories of of fundamental discussions. And the problem is that that makes it hard for us to have this discussion. So the idea of work, I noticed that as I read it in verse 10, for God is not unjust, he will not forget how hard you have worked for him. There it is. God won't forget how hard you have worked for him. So so obviously, the harder I work for God, the better it is for my outcome. That sounds very much like a works-based kind of model in this, in this famous dichotomy of face versus works. Um, of course, back up in verse 1, and we've already drawn our attention to that. Uh, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. So even Hebrews 6, I don't think, presents yeah. a coherent argument that yeah. we can earn through our works God's... Well, um, I, think, I think the coherent argument it presents is that we are saved through Christ. Um, but even, yes. even, when you yes. sa- even when you try and identify... The, the reason the faith, faith verse works argument is destined to fail is because things don't have a cause. So you say, oh, that person got saved. Why did they have... If an aeroplane's flying overhead and you said to Ken, why is that aeroplane flying? Ken would probably say, oh, there's a high-pressure system under the wing and a low-pressure system on top of the wing created by the aerofoil and whatever. If you ask the average Joe Blow on the street and you said, why is that plane flying there? Um, they'd probably say, oh, that's the that's the half-past ten Qantas flight from Launceston to Melbourne. It, <laughs> it always yeah. flies there. And they're both right. The reason that plane's there is because it was scheduled to fly at that particular time. The reason that's there is because of the high pressure, low pressure. So things don't have a neat cause. You could you could add a third reason to that as well, Cam, which is yeah. in theme with our discussion, which is that the plane is there at that time because someone really, really, really wanted it to be there at that. Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, worked yeah. very hard to make it happen. Well, there's a pilot exactly who who arranged by manipulation of the controls for the aircraft to be there at that time. And the passengers who paid their money to persuade the airline to employ the pilot to do that. Uh, yeah, the plane is in the sky at that moment in time because there's not enough COVID in our population. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or the, the, that plane is there at that point in time because of the generations of unskilled amateurs who killed themselves trying to invent flying machines and eventually cracked the the secret. Um, no, the point you're making, Cam, is exactly what I was getting at. Um, I, I am pausing to acknowledge that some of the words that are coming up in our conversation are the words used in these sharp dichotomies, faith versus works. I think that we are using them in without reference to that sharp dichotomy. Yeah. And I think that it's perfectly consistent and sensible to acknowledge the fundamental importance of placing faith in God and then also to discuss, like you were, Luke, about the way that sometimes things take effort take take work and your your analogies came with learning maths yeah. um you know i think are, are a bit of, of a help here as well and i'm just wanting to acknowledge for everyone that that i think it is totally possible and sensible to have this conversation yeah. using these words yeah. um and it's just a shame that these words are are have so much baggage yeah one of the i think i may have referred to this in the podcast previously uh, but one of the most profound statements about this uh, that I've heard is by the philosopher Dallas Willard, 
And he says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed mm. to earning. It is not mm -hmm. opposed to effort. And in fact, he goes further and he says, saints burn grace like a 747 <laughs> burns fuel on takeoff. <laughs> um, uh, saints burn yeah. grace like rocket fuel, he says. Um, and yeah. when you think about it, grace is that which enables us to do the things that we could not do. Hmm. That doesn't mean yeah. that there is nothing that we do. And I often think this this uh, black and white view of faith and works, uh, for a start, it involves a distorted view of what salvation means. But often hmm. it's also used as an excuse not to do anything. Well, I better not do anything yep. because that'd be works and that won't lead to my salvation. Mm -hmm. And then we and, and there's another thing that we often say, we talk about, well, is it a salvation issue? If it's not a salvation issue, it's not important. Well, that, that's not the determination of what's important. <laughs> what's important is yeah. whether you're making the world a better place, whether this is a good thing to do. Um, that's, yeah. that's what's important. And good mm. things to do often involve very substantial effort. It might not necessarily yeah. be a determinant of whether you end up in heaven. But if that's the, if, mm. if, if all you're doing is looking for some minimal requirement to get you there in the end, uh, then you're mm. missing a lot of the you're missing a lot of the whole purpose of it. Some of my students assure me that any any grade over fifty percent is if they get fifty three percent they put in three three percent too much effort. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, but Ken, I, what you've just said very clearly and passionately is, in fact, exactly my reading of Jesus's of the account with Jesus and the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes asking the question, "What must I do to to be saved, to achieve eternal life?" Essentially, and when Jesus sends him away with the instruction, "Well, why don't you go and sell everything you have?" I don't think Jesus is saying the way to get to heaven is to sell your goods and give them to the poor. I think Jesus is saying. To this person, the question you have approached me with is not, in fact, the best question you could be asking. What about you stop worrying about your own salvation and eternal destiny for just a moment and start worrying about what you can do right here, right now to change the lives of those who are suffering around you? That's, that's what I read yeah. that story to be saying. And is that not salvation? So, and, and, is, and, and, yeah. and I'm going to pick you up on your use of the word. You know, what about your eternal destiny? Uh, frankly, uh, <laughs> your eternal destiny is something that's in God's hands. Um, and I think you're probably going to mm. have to work pretty hard uh, to get him to kick you out. Um, uh, so, <laughs> but what, what, what I'm more interested in, I don't particularly, this, this is heresy. I don't particularly care about my eternal destiny. I don't particularly care about your eternal destiny. Uh, what I care about mm. is, are we making the world a better place? Are we having mm. a positive impact on people's lives? Um, yeah. Well, Ken, I think you have, you have to admit that that attitude is taking a stand with Moses. Remember, Moses says, to heck with my eternal destiny. God, if you need to, blot my name from the book. Mm. It's a very, very dramatic thing that Moses yeah. says to God when after the golden calf and God is, is expressing his anger. It's one of the things that makes Moses a great Christ figure. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it, it's exactly. Christ's example. If, if is Christ was yeah. less less worried about, yeah, uh, you know, and I think Ellen White says that Christ suffered genuine doubt in Gethsemane about the the eventuality of the resurrection. Am I misremembering that? 
Oh, I don't know, but uh, I take I've definitely some comfort heard that. from it, Cam, because I've been saying all of these things and then just reflecting yeah. on my own life in the last few days and the way yeah. I've treated people um, and yeah. whether or not I've made <laughs> their lives a better, you know, made, made a positive contribution to the world. And I have to say I've got significant doubt about whether I've done that in the last few days. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm going to throw one extra analogy and then we're going to have to zoom through the rest of this chapter in quick and smart. The, the parable about the master with the talents, so the servants who mm. are given talents, we often use that to refer to people's talents as in what you're good at and your skills, invest your skills for God or material possessions. What if it just means our time? So what if, what if saying, oh, God's given me a life, what will I do with this life? I know what I'll do. I'll spend my whole time, all the days of my life, eagerly awaiting his return and just making sure that I'm sort of personally ready and that I have the and and then at the end of it um I'll have the money I'll give the one talent back to him and I say look I sat here the whole time and I waited um so that, whereas the servants who are praised the servants who said all right well who knows when the master's coming back what can I do with this stuff right now um to make a difference so uh, it, I think that there's something very irreligious about the judeo-christian tradition I I'd like to point something out, Cam, where you where you referred to the talents. <clears throat> I think I'm right in this. Our use of the word talent to apply to, you know, like a natural apt, apt, um, aptitude, yeah. something that we're good at, is actually based on that interpretation of Jesus's parable. Ah. The word talent comes from a unit of weight. Mm. When when he gives when when yeah. the, the the giving of talents is the is the weighing out of a certain portion of yeah. gold essentially, and it's because of how much Christians throughout Christian history have enjoyed stretching that parable to to a, apply to things more broadly and more abstractly. It's precisely that history of interpretation that has given us the modern English word talent to mean right. something abstract, like a natural aptitude. Right. Oh, uh, I can't say that word. <laughs> that's interesting. We need, we need Locke to move on because at one point I was very enthusiastic about our likelihood of recording a shorter episode despite Ken's forecast. And I noticed that this, the chance of that is, is decreasing pretty rapidly. So I'm going to pick up verse 12. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves. The oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make... Does it put an end to all argument, Ken? Uh, not in my experience. Okay. <laughs> Wait, have we found something that puts an end to all arguments? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, now we've got a very boring life. Um. No. Uh, sorry, verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All right, hmm. let's uh, immediately uh, look at this. Um, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what he said and puts an end to all argument. Because wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. 
Um, uh, and yet, Matthew 5, 33 to 37, uh, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, yeah. <laughs> for it is the throne of God, nor by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. Um, and yet here we have a uh, an implicit recognition of the uh, uh, the fact that one takes an oath. Um, yeah, but in, God's taking the oath here. Yes, I mean, it refers to human oath. It's, okay, it's okay if he if he swears an oath by himself, which of course is exactly what Jesus said we should. It's do. essentially what Matthew um, was saying: uh, is let your yes, yes be yes, swear, and let your no be no. Uh, swear so by God's just made sure that well, I'm going to do what I, I've said I'm going to do. Mm. Yeah, not I, an easy thing, by the way, to oh, let your yes be yes. And oh, it's no got to be, be one no. of the most difficult things. It, it, simple, but it's yeah. real hard. How, how many, uh, well, and the other one is, and what Jesus didn't deal with, and what this passage doesn't deal with, and what Bornhofer really doesn't deal with at length in the cost of discipleship uh, chapter on truthfulness. Go and read that when you're looking at the questions of oaths, and that's a great, great chapter. Um, uh, but what none of them deal with is the maybe. Um, uh, yeah. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Um, uh, that's that's all well and good. But what about your maybe? Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what about your I'm not your sure maybe yet. probably should be uh, an expression of genuine openness rather than mm. a kindly way Another of, way of saying, yeah, no. saying no. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Can I pick up on something? And again, this is just to stir the pot because I think what the author is doing is um, I do see Hebrews very much more as a sermon, as a sort of argumentative piece. Um, and and uh, we often use sort of elaborate expressions and words to make something, you know, we build, we build on a phrase and we build and we build and it gains importance. And I think that's what's happening in this verse. But in verse 19 where it says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Hmm. That, that almost implies that there are some unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie. But these, these were two, two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for him to lie. Uh, that's not what it's saying. But I, I, think it's just, yeah. I think it's just adding the in which God is... It's impossible for God to lie, um, as sort of a reinforcement of the of the idea that it's unchangeable. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is really interesting because yesterday, uh, last chapter, uh, last episode when we were looking in Hebrews five, that was a l- real exploration of this theme of Jesus as our high priest. And here we are in six, and it has felt like a diversion from that. It felt like it, you know, this idea of not being. Not not being per- perpetually an infant, moving on beyond just the basics, uh, working for a mature and developing faith, in- implementing that faith through through caring for believers and loving other people, um, that feels quite different to me from the theme of of high priestly ministry. And yet, boom, here it comes back right here at the end of the chapter um, after building into this this sort of crescendo of certainty around the hope you know um god makes an oath by himself so historical reference to abraham and then a sort of philosophical reference to god's promises being being sure because god doesn't lie so we've fled to him for refuge and we now have a hope and the hope is strong and trustworthy and it's behind the inner sanctuary and jesus has already gone there and he's our high priest 
And it's sort of this huge, big, momentous um, return to the high priestly theme. It's uh, not exactly the same, though, because uh, is this the first time it talks about Melchizedek? No, it's not the first time. No, no it's, it's the second time it refers to no. in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I, I, again, that also seems to me to support your um, uh, concept of this as a building sermon. Uh, so mm. you introduce a concept and then you you know, move around and then you come back to the concept again. So this mm. idea that, that, that uh, Jesus was a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek is, is introduced in chapter 5. And then we go mm. off into chapter 6 and we talk about, you know, moving on beyond the elementary teachings and that sort of thing. And then we come back to this again. And, and again, it seems to me, and we'll look at this next week um, in chapter 7, uh, but then we look at the characteristics of Melchizedek uh, and the sort mm. of high priest that Melchizedek was. Um, and maybe we'll give a little taste of with chapter 7 and verse 1. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and priest of God most high. So what makes him <laughs> the high priest is not his uh, uh, position in the hierarchy of priests, but the God of whom he is the priest. <laughs> Ah, that's really cool. I I think that's great, Ken. I was going to refer back again in this idea that we're building um building a, a chain of reasoning here, building an argument. Um, the previous couple of chapters have gone to great lengths to draw a reference to the way that Jesus's experience has mirrored our own. In he's been tempted in ways like us, and that that means that he can minister to us better. And now. In verse 20 here of chapter 6, we're talking about our hope, talking about our hope, which is looking forward into the future. Well, Jesus has already gone there for us. He's gone into God's inner sanctuary for us, become our high priest. The implication in the context of Hebrews seems to be that in this, he is also experiencing the same as us. It's just that now it's he's experiencing it before us. Um, so there's this... The theme seems yeah. to again be emphasizing we can have confidence because Christ is our representative. He experiences what we experience, and therefore we're going to experience what he's experiencing. Yeah. And I've struggled a little bit about this idea that our hope is in the inner sanctuary. Like it's almost personified our hope. Uh, it left hmm. us behind and ran on ahead. Um, yeah, I picked that up as well, Kim. Uh, but it's maybe, a very interesting use maybe of this is a way of saying. We hope to be united with God, and Christ is united with God and has been. And 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 mm. don't fall away. So, so we are not in the inner sanctuary yet. There is a sense mm. in which our hope has has left us behind. We're we're hoping for something in the future. And one of the themes of Hebrews is don't don't flag now. Yes, your hopes in the inner sanctuary with God. So you hope to be united with God. You know, is this mm. a vain hope? No, Christ is there. Um. So it's not a it's not a vain hope. I think that note of encouragement, the reminder that Hebrews is actually fundamentally a message of encouragement, is perhaps a point we could end on for this episode, Cam. Well let's let's do that then. And we'll have to leave our readers not readers, our listeners, waiting to hear further discussion about Melchizedek, which which is pulled out a lot in chapter seven. Um thank you so much for listening in on our discussion. We uh have lots of fun recording them which I hope is evident, uh, feel free to share 
as you see fit. And uh, please tune in again next week. And um, and we hope that you're weathering this stage of the pandemic as as well as can be weathered. <laughs>